Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Conrad, our youth pastor, is about to bring the heat, so you have to get your Bible out. (laughs) Bring in the heat. Watch out. Spicy peppers and campfires. That's what I'm bringing. Yeah, my name is Conrad. I'm the youth director here at Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, and we are glad to have you with us. Um, and this, uh, this morning, we are t- diving into a tough, tough passage. Um, it's a passage about a... Well, it's called The, young, the Rich Young Ruler, and, and Greg asked me to speak on it uh, because I'm, ri- I'm rich, I'm young, and I rule. So, no, only two of those things are true. Um, <laughs> but we're in, a, we're in a series, do I got, yeah, we're in a series called The Heart Beneath Money. And we are talking about um, the rich young ruler. Um, and so we're going to dive into the scripture in Matthew chapter 19, um, verses 16 through 30. And if you don't, don't have a Bible with you, we have a couple of Bibles that, no, we don't have them. Man, it's so sad. We have so many Bibles that we're handing out that we ran out. So uh, that's a call to the Christians to let's buy some more Bibles. Um, well, if you, uh, if you happen to have one of those black hardback Bibles, it's page 817. Uh, yeah, 817. 817. Um, but the rich young ruler, this passage, it's heavy. It's heavy. It's scary. Um, it's, uh, it's intimidating um, for those of us who, who claim that we enter into the presence of Jesus all the time. Um, and and it's, it's challenging. It, it'll, it'll, this will be a, a question <laughs> for, for you just to say, like, am, am I really a Christian? Am I really following him? Um, so it's going to be a little bit scary. So I don't want to mess this up. Um, and I don't want to come out here with all of my opinions and all of my thoughts. I just want to give you the word of God. And um, so I want to pray with you um, just that God would speak, that our hearts would be open. So let's pray. Lord God, um, I know that there's nothing that I can say apart from you that will be of any value right now, Lord. I just desire that your word would go forth and... And God, the only way that your word can go forth is if you give us ears to hear you, Lord. If you make our hearts open to receive your word, God. If you allow our minds to be open um, to hear your voice in a way we've never heard before. So God, would you change us? Would you transform us, Lord, to be able to hear your message, God? Lord, and for each one here who is preparing their hearts and their ears and their minds to be able to hear you, Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless them with your word, God? Lord, many of us have spent all week hearing you, and this morning is just no different, and we're just eager to dive into your word one more time, Lord. So, Lord, um, allow your word to 
to fall in ears that, that hear. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would be glorified today, Lord. And we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I, I titled this message, Rich and Sad. Because that's what we see with this rich young ruler. Um, he might have had a lot of stuff, but we'll find out that he walks away sad. So I'd just like to start by, by reading that passage. So again, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. And, and this is what it says. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asks. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've I've obeyed all of these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This passage, um, we see it in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's a, there's a lot of parallels, and I'm going to make a couple of references to, to the other books as well, but our main passage here is in Matthew. Um, but, but just this very first thing, a man comes up to Jesus with a question. He sees Jesus as having some sort of authority. Some sort, there, there's some reason that Jesus is worth asking this question. Jesus has been teaching. He's, he's you know, viewed as a, a rabbi, clearly an important figure. So maybe he's just like, I wonder what this guy's perspective is. Um, whatever it is, this man has come to Jesus with a question and Jesus is ready because Jesus is ready for all of your questions. 
He's always ready. There, there's nothing that's going to shock him and surprise him. There's nothing that he's going to, he's like, oh, you know, I hadn't really thought of that before. I don't, I don't really know what to say. Now, Jesus is always ready. And Jesus doesn't just simply have an answer. Um, he, re- he is the answer. Jesus is the word of God. What, what God speaks, that's everything that Jesus is. Um, Jesus embodies this truth. He embodies um, the very essence um, of who God is. In, in some of the other um, passages in, in Mark and in Luke, it, it says that this young man ran up to Jesus, that he knelt before him. There is this reverence, this honor, this desperation that just says, Lord, please, teacher, please, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. This is the weird thing: is that he claims that he's kept all of the law. He has lots of money. He, he has lots of stuff, but for some reason, he still sees a need to ask what he must do to inherit eternal life. According to like Jewish tradition, he's done everything. He's like he's claiming he's a perfect Christian. He, he's claiming he's a perfect Jew. He's like, look. I, I, I've never messed up. I've never sinned. It's, I'm perfect. Um, and I'm chuckling because I'm just like, no. If, if you're anything like me, you're not. But, but he still feels lacking. Even with all the stuff he has, even with all of his acclaim, everything he has going for him, he still feels like something is missing. He recognizes that, and he thinks that Jesus has an answer for that. And he comes to him in, in the other passages, literally begging, on his knees, praying to him, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He feels lacking. And Jesus gives him an answer, and he's not satisfied with the answer, because he's like, no, 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 I've already done that. And so then Jesus says, you think you've done that, but you haven't. Here's the second step. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Then follow me. And in all of the scripture, this is the only time. It is the only time that someone declines to follow Jesus after having a direct invitation from Jesus himself. And we don't even we don't even have the the opportunity to sit and wonder like oh how could he possibly walk away? It says it right there. He went away sad for he had many possessions. And that should terrify us. The only instance of someone declining to follow Jesus after meeting him and being invited to follow Jesus is because of wealth. And that's the whole reason for this series. That's the whole reason why we would want to talk about the heart beneath money because Jesus talks about money a lot, but then again, he never really talks about money. He's like, you, you think you have a money problem, but there's something, 
beneath that. There's something more. There's something that that you're missing the picture because you think this is about money and you think this is about your stuff, but really, it's about your heart. And Jesus, Jesus comes to this man and, or, or Jesus tells this man, like, look, if, if you really, if you want eternal life, keep the commandments. And he goes and, he, and he's listing some of these commandments. And it turns out that the commandment that this man had missed was the first one, that you would have no other gods before me. That he had something that he saw that was more valuable than God. And if you hear Jesus' command, but there's something else that you love more, then you will walk away sad. That's just kind of my point blank commentary on this message, or on this passage, is that, is that Jesus is giving us an offer, and if for some reason some other offer seems better, then even though I want what Jesus is offering, I'm, I'm going to walk away. Like, man, that would have been really, really great, but I just can't do that. <sighs> um, last Sunday, I, Francis Chan... Uh, gave his last message to America because him and his family are <laughs> are moving to uh, Asia to um, minister the gospel to people who have literally never ever heard it. And so, you know, he's been on an interesting journey where he was a med- mega church pastor and is just like, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then he goes and he pastors these smaller churches and he's like, I'd, I'm just trying to follow God and go wherever he leads. And now it's on the other side of the ocean, and and uh, I was listening to that message. And I was like, "Man, this is like exactly what I'm supposed to preach on Sunday." So I, I was I was almost like, "Well, we'll just watch the video instead." Um, but but uh, earlier in Matthew, in chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, I. Uh, Jesus is talking about how he's going to be crucified and what he has to go through. And Peter pulls him aside and says, Jesus, you can't talk like this. This will not happen to you, my Lord. And Jesus says the classic line, get behind me, Satan. And Jesus says to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Here we have a picture of a man who is trying to hang on to his life. Here we have a picture of a man who says, I I like it. I like what I have too much. Jesus is giving him it's literally what he asked for. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking for life. He's asking for the fullness of what a human was created for. 
He's asking for everything. He, he says, Jesus, I have apparently everything. I have all of the possessions that I could ever want. I followed the law to a T. I am to be envied by everybody. And still I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Jesus, what is it? And Jesus tells him. Jesus tells him exactly what it is. He says, oh yes, that problem that you're talking about? Here, give up everything you have. You know all that stuff that you're clinging to so desperately? Let go of it. Follow me and you will inherit eternal life. And the man says, ooh, I was really hoping you wouldn't have said that. I was really hoping it would have been something easier. I really hope it would have been just another rule that I had to follow. That would have been great. I wish it had been something about, you know, giving a little bit more money or, or maybe, you know, just like if I go to church another day of the week. That would have been cool. But no, you want me to give up everything? That's, that's, the, that's the joke about tithing. Is that it's not, Jesus isn't asking, God isn't asking for 10% of your money. That is a joke. That is the biggest joke that the church has ever pulled on anyone. Jesus is not asking for 10% of your money. If you keep 90% of your money, then, then you're your own God. You're in charge of your own life. Jesus isn't saying, hey, followers, come with me and, and, and don't worry. You get to keep 90% of your stuff. You get to, you get to be in charge of 90% of it just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's like a subscription fee. That's like a, a membership fee at some club. Is like, no, just, just give this annual amount. Just budget it out. And, and don't worry, you'll get all the benefits of everything. That's not what it looks like to inherit eternal life. To inherit eternal life is to give up everything. Is to not be scared to let go of my life. So that I could actually receive something greater. We have a problem as humans that uh, we get comfortable and we get happy, and then we don't want things to change. It's a pretty normal problem. I don't feel like I'm the only one with that problem. I feel like we all have got that problem. Okay, we're all on the same boat. Yeah, yeah. When Jesus calls us, he's not asking us to remain exactly how we are. He sees us exactly how we are, and he invites us. He says, yeah, yeah, I, I see you. That's okay. I see you. Come to me. He says, sell everything you have. Give up everything you have and come and follow me. The call of Christ is a call to give up everything. To be totally changed. To be totally changed. And you could allow that process to take your entire life if you would like. It'll be slow. It'll be painful. It'll be, I'm, I'm going to give up a little bit now. And then I'm going to feel like I, I, I'm, I'm doing what Jesus is calling me to. And then a couple of years later, you'll realize, I ah, know he was actually calling me to give, to give more, to give up more of myself and and slowly and slowly you'll realize, I haven't given him everything. Jesus' call is an opportunity for us to pause, to look at our lives and say, what am I holding on to? What am I holding on to? What do I have in this life that I'm going to be able to take with me when I die? 
What do I have that is so valuable that it, that it is worth paying the ultimate price for? And when you start looking at stuff, it, there's, there's nothing. There is, there's nothing. There is no earthly thing that is worth it. And then we get into all sorts of other problems where, yeah, there's no possession that is worth it. But, but what else does, does Jesus say at the end of this passage? Everyone who has given up houses. Okay, I'm cool with giving up a house. Or brothers. Wait, my family? Sisters. Fathers. Mothers. Children. Property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. And will receive eternal life. So I'm cool with the whole property and, and houses thing. That makes sense. This, but no, when Jesus is talking about giving up, he's talking about everything. Even the things that we hold most dear are family. He said, if, if you come to me, but your family is still more importantly, then you actually haven't come to me at all. That's scary. Because that seems like the right thing to do, to be a good family man, to, to take care of your family, to love them. But this was, this was Francis Chan's more, um, main point in, in his message, was that he, he said, my kids don't need a father. They don't. What they need as a father who's willing to die for the sake of Christ. And this is how I feel, uh, super honesty time here, um, this is how I feel as a youth pastor that just says, like, you know, whether I like it or not, if, if I'm leading students into, into uh, a, a lifestyle of following Jesus, then they're going to imitate me in some ways. I would rather, rather they didn't for the most part, but they're going to imitate me in some ways. And so then the question is, am I living a life worth imitating? And if, if that's the question that I'm asking, and, and then, then all of a sudden nothing else matters except am I willing to lay down my life? Because I, I don't want students to follow me into like, hey, be crazy busy and feel like you're doing a good thing for Jesus. I don't want students to live that life. I want, I want students to live a life that says, no, I will do whatever Jesus is telling me to do. I will do whatever. Me to do. I was just thinking the other day about how many laws the disciples broke as they were following Jesus. And I won't get into that right now. We need, we need to move on. Um, oh, we already talked about that verse. And this is Jesus' response. This is Jesus' response to, to what, the, what the man does. He walks away sad, and he says, It is very, very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And it feels like, oh, he's saying it's, it's really difficult. There's lots, of, there's lots of ways that people have tried to justify this to say, well, you know, it, it's, 
it seems difficult, but it's possible. And, and I won't even get into all of the, the ways. None of them have a lot of validity behind them. Um, but people, try, people hear this analogy that Jesus says and says, oh, he couldn't have meant, he couldn't have meant that. He must have meant something else. Let's try to figure out what he meant. But we just, Jesus says it flat out. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. When Jesus was talking about a camel through the eye of a needle, you know what he was talking about? A camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. It's impossible. There are other places where the biggest animal they had was an elephant, and there they used to say, fit an elephant through the eye of a needle. The biggest animal they had around was a camel. So he said, you see that huge thing? Imagine trying to get that through there. It's impossible. And man, this has just been, this has just been my message that, that God has been speaking to me for, for months now, that with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And you know what that's called? That's called a miracle. And, and I don't know where you stand on, on miracles, but I, I'm, I'm saying that if, if, you, if your heart has been changed by God, that is a miracle. You know what's impossible is for, is for a human heart to be selfless, is for a human heart to look for the good of other people, is for a human heart to actually be willing to die for someone else. All those things are impossible, and God has already done that inside of our hearts. Everything else, like, yeah, part the seas, go for it. That's, that's small change to changing my heart. God is a miracle-working God. This is what he does. And so when Jesus says it's impossible, he means it. It is impossible. There is no way that you are going to make this happen. With all of your human effort, it will be impossible. And then here comes the God of the impossible. Changing things. Jesus' kingdom will not fit into your saving goals. Because with this rich young ruler, money is the problem, but also money is not the problem. He, um, he has all of his savings in order. He, he's got everything figured out. He, he, he has the, the signs of a good Jewish person because, because there's, this, there's this blessing that is happening, that, that he has all of these things. And, and clearly that is someone who is blessed by God. And, and he is following uh, the church track. He, he, is, he set his, his wheels into the track and he is rolling and he's like, look, everything is going great. Everything is awesome. But he still feels, even though he, he's following the rules, he's saving all his money, he's doing great, he still feels like something is missing. And there's no, there's no amount of saving or planning that you can do that will help you to figure out the kingdom of God. I'm sorry. But the kingdom of God works like this. Waking up every morning and desperately asking God, what do I do? I love our calendar. I love our budget. It's really, really good. But they are not God. We, 
if at any point my calendar becomes more almighty than the Lord himself, then I've lost it. I've, I've missed it somehow. If at any point my budget becomes more almighty than God, then somehow I have missed it. All of my planning in the, in the world, like it can be all of the best stuff. But if it misses the sovereignty of God, then it's just wrong. And, it, and it's me holding on to, to my life and losing it. Instead of letting go and allowing God to give eternal life. We can, we can start out strong, but then get talked out of radical faith by well-meaning Christians. We can get caught up in life so much that life itself actually becomes our God. But nothing will save your life. Nothing will save you except for Jesus. Following Christian principles is not God's ultimate goal for your life. He wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to be near to him. He wants you to be his child. He wants to be your father. He doesn't want you to be the goody two-shoes who does everything right. He wants you to be real and with him. He doesn't want you to be following the rules way over there apart from him. No, he wants you to be right next to him no matter what. He wants you to accept the invitation into his family. And the way you store up treasures in heaven is by listening to his voice and following where he goes. That is the call to the rich young ruler. Um, I have just a couple pictures to wrap us up. Uh, stormy sea, right? Sailing on the waters. We don't really get this a whole lot, I don't think, um, because we don't live in this kind of time period where if you're traveling across the sea, uh, every time you go out, your life is in danger. Or if you're really terrified of airplanes, maybe this is your reality, but, uh, but we don't have the mortality rate that, you, that they used to have. But um, a guy named John Keeble wrote a, wrote a poem talking about St. John. And, and talking about what are we going to suffer? Who is going to suffer the most? What, what is going to be the greatest suffering before we reach eternity's shore? But he says this. He says, when the shore is won at last, who will count the billows past? When you get there... Even if you had to throw everything overboard, even if the ship was wrecked by all of the waves, but you made it to the shore, who cares? Who cares? Someone made it all the way across the sea, perfectly fine, no problems. They're on the shore there with you. It doesn't matter. Everything else that had passed, it's just, it just doesn't matter. You made it. You are there. So who is going to care what, what we lost in our life when we are there? At eternity shore. When we are there, right, right next to God, right, meet on the shore in paradise, embracing our Savior, what will it matter what we lost? What will it matter that we gave up, that we had to throw overboard so that we would, you know, be able to sail better? What will it matter how long the suffering was of each saint when we're able to embrace our Savior in paradise?
Uh, some of you who have been in the faith for a long time might know the Stud Brothers, which I wish that I was a Stud Brother, but that's actually their last name. Um, <laughs> they were cricketers in England. Um, for those of you Americans, cricket is a sport that is very confusing. Um, but Neil knows that the way that Neil looked at baseball is the way that all of us look at cricket. It's just like, are these made-up rules? Anyways, they play cricket, um, and they're really, really good. They play on the national team, and I think it was 1882, their dad um, is saved. Their dad meets Jesus, and then when they come home from college or traveling, um, they meet a preacher, and, and they get saved also. And uh, Charles Studd, C.T. Studd, is, is in the middle. And uh, he went on to be a missionary. He gave up his life of being a cricketer to go and proclaim the gospel. Um, and he sailed across the ocean. He went to, um, to China and... and he, just, he gave up everything. Anyways, here's a quote from him near the end of his life. I have this on a little note card um, as I was preparing for this message. I, I ha- I've had this note card in my Bible for more than a year, and it just has this quote from C.T. Studd on it. And uh, it basically fell out of my Bible as I was preparing for this message. So, And I was like, if I don't share this, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. <clears throat> this is what it says. As I believe I am now nearing the departure from this world, I have but a few things to rejoice in, and they are these. One, that God called me to China and I went in spite of the utmost opposition from all my loved ones. Two, that I joyfully acted as Christ told that rich young man to act. Three, that I deliberately, at the, call of jo- uh, at the call of God, when alone on a ship in 1910, gave up my life for this work, which was to be not for just the sedan, but also for the entire unevangelized world. So, my, my only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. And I'm sure there are lots of really great men who have said lots of really great things right as they were about, about to die. But for someone to be on their deathbed and to say, the only thing that I have to rejoice in is that when God spoke to me, I didn't refuse him. That's just an invitation to us who are Christ followers to say, when Jesus speaks to me, am I refusing him? Am I convincing myself that I'm living the Christian life when I'm not actually following Jesus? Have I, have I twisted Jesus' words to fit the American culture? Have I twisted Jesus' words to fit what I desire for my life? And my prayer for you is that you would hear Jesus' words and that you would not refuse him. Let's pray. Lord God, you are just that. You are Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being a creator who who created such beauty 
in our world. Such beauty inside of us, God. Such mystery. Lord God, we, we are desperate. We are desperately asking that you would continue to work miracles inside of our hearts, God. Would you continue to change us, Lord, from, from, from far-off sinners, Lord, to, to children who love the Father. God, we are truly desperate for you to work miracles inside of our hearts. We love you, Lord. I, I just want to ask that you would give us courage this week, God to take a hard look at ourselves and a hard look at our lives and, and to say, what am I holding on to? God, please may the answer be nothing but you. God, help us to hold on to only you. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would be glorified through this church body, God, that when we leave from this place, our neighborhoods, our city would would have a representation of Jesus everywhere, God. Speak through us, God. Move through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.